you. My name is Arnaldo. I'm uh, one of the pastors here and uh, lead the Peakers Gospel Community with my wife, Catherine. And uh, it's an incredible honor and pleasure to um, be up here. And especially if this is uh, your first time, um, we love that you're here. And we pray that uh, this is going to be helpful for you. Um, so just want to give us some framework around why, why we're doing this. What, what does this mean, VU? What's, what's that about? And, and so um, uh, Brad Coneman, one of our pastors, and Sam Vig, our creative director, and a team got together and, and looked at what, what is it that we want to communicate uh, through the next three weeks. And uh, VU is French for you. Um, and, uh, uh, but what's interesting, and you, you'll see it up in the text, so this is, this is the Greek noose. So that V uh, is the N sound in Greek, and um, they, they look identical. And, and the, the question we want to pose is, what does it look like? What's the intersection, the interface between you and your mind and mental health? What does that look like? And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at, today we're, we're looking at depression. Next week, we'll be looking at addiction. And then we'll end up with, with, uh, uh, with anxiety. And each week, what we want to do, because we understand that the human person is not just a mind. We're not just brains on sticks. We're not just uh, disembodied souls. We are full and holistic human beings. And so each week, we're going to invite um, a medical, practic- uh, pra- medical practitioner uh, to partner with us to give uh, a really good view of um, what, what does it feel physiologically that it's going on, uh, particularly today with, with depression. Uh, so we're excited to have our own uh, Dr. Nicolette Marr uh, joining us in a little bit. And we believe all truth is God's truth, and we want to serve you well uh, over the next three weeks. Um, and also, additionally, there's going to be some resources and a referral list in the back, and it'll also be posted on, um, uh, on, our, on, on the family page. So uh, we really want to resource you as to what it looks like to live in this world, uh, particularly if, if you're a follower of Jesus. We want to say, well, what does this mean for you to struggle with mental illness? What, what does that look like to struggle as you follow Jesus with addiction? What, what does that mean? How, how can we be faithful even as we are afflicted with these things? And I know a lot of time maybe you've been on both ends of, of, this, of, of this interchange where uh, we've tried to help others or maybe we've tried uh, to be helped by others with maybe a, a glib saying or, or just sort of a trite um, scripture reference when we are in the, in the pit, in the depth of despair as it were. And we don't want to do that. We, we don't want to just lay on you, um, hey, God is good, so just get over it. That's not, that's not our job. That, you know, that, that, that's not where we're going to go with it. We want to serve you well. And I want to show you from the text that even as we are afflicted, the realities of these afflictions of depression and darkness and despair and addiction and anxiety, that we, we want to give you hope that they are not just afflictions, though they are, though they are but they're doorways into an experience of God's grace in a much deeper way. And so towards that end, uh, we're, we're going to be looking at depression in the text, depression in our family history, in terms of the Christian family history, um, and, and the way that I have um, uh, been myself afflicted with depression. And then we're going to ask Dr. Mar to come up, and then we'll, we'll finish up with, with some true things to say about depression. Before I do that, I want to pray. Uh, so if you can join me, that'd be awesome. Father... We thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that you've invited us into your story. 
we thank you that you have not abandoned us. And Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people, that you will help me to remember the things that will be, and that those who are far from you will be drawn near. Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. Open up eyes that scales may drop. May you move people from death to life this morning, we pray. This is not our work to do. It's your work. So bring the fire, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Depending on uh, where you were raised, how you were raised, whether you were, you're used to being in churches or not, um, it could be your experience. It, it definitely was mine growing up in, in Brooklyn, in, in, in the church that I went to, that this wasn't spoken about. Depression wasn't spoken about. In fact, it was uh, just frowned upon to be sad. And even in my own family history, uh, even being at home, I remember being sad or bored and being scolded for being sad didn't really have a framework for organizing or expressing uh, some of the harder emotions. And then that translates, of course, into the way we read the Bible. And so we often will look for texts in the Bible that may be a, a bit melancholic or depressive and, and really just to get that zinger at the end, right? That it's, it's okay. Even though you're a bit down, you, you need to just pull yourself up. It's okay. God is good. God is on the throne. All things that are true but may not line up with our experience very well. And that's why I chose Psalm 88 because it is literally the darkest text in the scriptures where it ends where often our own, li our, our own days end in darkness and despair. What do the scriptures have to say about it? Do they even talk about this? And so I want to take you on a quick preview over the Old Testament and the New about particular places where deep darkness and despondency is experienced by people who we think shouldn't experience it. People who believe in Yahweh, in God. David, in Psalm 38, the same uh, author uh, of Psalm 88, 38, he says this, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Have you felt that? Something being too heavy for you. My wounds stink and fester because of my own foolishness. I am utter utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. This is the man after God's own heart. All the day I go about mourning. I groan, he says, verse 8, because of the tumult of my heart. This deep anguish is felt by King David. Elijah, a prophet, after a very successful sort of period in his ministry, he goes away and he says, but he, the text says in 1 Kings, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. Like this is Elijah. This is a prophet of God saying, it's better that I am dead than alive. And so often as readers of the scriptures, we just skip over those things. Not understanding that in the text, there are people who with deep, deep darkness. Job says, why, why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Jeremiah, another prophet, Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you. 
making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. What? This does not line up with our 21st century sort of glib Christianity where everything, you just need to look like you have it all together. And we think, oh, well, you know, those are prophets. They're usually artists. They're artistic. They're melancholic. That's just who they are, right? The songwriters of the old. You know, that's David. He plays the lyre. That's, that's just who they are. But Paul, even Paul, we think Paul, the guy who wrote the book of Romans and wrote nearly half of the New Testament, he says this, for we don't want you to be ignorant of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And we think, okay, there are others who feel this. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel this. You woke up feeling this way or not feeling at all. And we think, oh, surely not Jesus. He, he's got a bit of an advantage. Right? But Matthew 26 says that he was sorrowful even unto death. Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows. That's deep. So even our Lord, even the Christ, even God incarnate experienced deep darkness and despair. But it's not only there. It's not only in the scriptures, but in our family history, in the history of the church. We find littered throughout those who have suffered with deep, deep depression, whether that was a spiritual depression, whether it was a physiological depression or circumstantial one, or psychological one. There was this guy called Horatio Spafford. He was a businessman in the 19th century, quite successful. He had some kids, his young son died. And if that wasn't enough then, all of his businesses in the, in, the, in the Chicago fires of the late 19th century basically wiped out all of his business. So he thought he'd send his wife and his daughters over to uh, England for a vacation. And so he did, and he stayed back home in Chicago uh, just for a couple weeks to tie up some loose ends. Um, and he gets a telegraph two weeks later from his wife saying, survived alone. This guy loses his son, loses his business, loses his daughters. Much like the story of Job. And as he was going over the Atlantic to meet his wife, he wrote these words that we, I'm sure some of us would know. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows, listen to this, to, to this line, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Have you ever felt that? Like, but before we even move on to what he says, well, you know, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Have you ever felt this sorrow like sea billows rolling over you? Where it does not stop. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he was called. At the age of 22, he was preaching uh, to thousands of people. He, he actually was a pastor of the only and largest megachurch in the 19th century in, uh, in England. 
And he was 22 years old. He was up and coming. He, he was an incredible communicator. And as he was preaching, some prankster yelled out, fire. And seven people died that day. 28 were severely injured. And from that day forth, he suffered from extreme melancholy and depression. So much so that at times he was so depressed, so unable to function that he would be carried by his elders to the pulpit to preach. By the age 33, he suffered from chronic diseases, chronic pain all his life. He suffered greatly with the dark, with, with what, what people have called a dark night of the soul. And it would never lift for him. And he would go on preaching and ministering as a depressed man, the prince of preachers. He says this in one of his sermons on depression. He says the mind, on, on mental illness, he says the mind can descend far lower than the body. For in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain amount of wounds. We can only receive physically a certain, you know, certain affliction and no more. We, we would die. But the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. This is a man who has been touched by the affliction of depression. And so it's not only in the text that we find people who've suffered. It's not only in our history, in our family history, that we find people who've suffered. But I want to stand in front of you as someone who suffered myself with depression. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with uh, what's called high-functioning depression in layman's terms. Uh, Nick will, will, will fill that in for you, what, what that means and what that looks like. My wife had me pegged years ago. But my pride and this, this culture that we are often a part of, that we want to dismantle here, this culture that we, we are a part of that says we need to have it all together. And when I look back over the last couple of years of God healing me through through people, through friends particularly. I remember uh, w one of the reasons why I even went to get help um, was I was, I was sitting uh, in front of a friend of mine who I deeply uh, admire and respect, and he said, if you don't get help, I will. And he's a bit bigger than me, so you know, I got scared. I did it anyway. You know, I, I got help. But the havoc that my pride from not wanting to get help wreaked on, on my parenting, on, on my wife, on my work. And because it's, it's a milder form that lasts for many years, I was, I was able to just keep, just keep going. All the while, not feeling inside. It's hard to think about, it's hard to talk about. It's not something that I am completely over. It's something that, um, you know, with, like Paul. Paul prays uh, three times for this thorn in the flesh to be removed. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, that's where my strength is shown. And so I want to show you that it's not, it's not just this faraway text, sort of these people from thousands of years ago. It's not just even someone from a couple hundred years ago, but every single one of us in this room has either suffered or knows someone, loves someone, is loved by someone who is suffering with depression. 
Whether it's psychological, spiritual, physiological, circumstantial, for me, part of my story is I've lived with chronic pain for many, many years. And then I moved over here from New York City, not really knowing what to expect. I figured, oh, well, they speak English. It'll be fine. You don't. It's weird. But the, the, the dramatic changes, the financial pressures, the chronic pain was grinding years of this. And I thank God that I have, uh, have had friends and a loving wife to help. Charles Spurgeon said this, it would not be wise to live by a supposed faith and cast off the physician and their medicines any more than to discharge the butcher and the tailor and expect to be fed and clothed by faith. And so because we're whole beings, because we're not just um, uh, disembodied uh, uh, sort of ghosts, as it were, all, God, all truth is God's truth, and we want to invite every avenue for healing, hope, and health. And so maybe uh, you've been told the lie that it is unfaithful for you. You're, you're, not, you're not walking faithfully with Jesus if you take medication. Maybe you've been told the lie that you just need to keep it all together. Maybe you're a leader in your ministry or your church and you've been sold the lie that it's through your strength that God works. But it's through our weakness. And part of this weakness is, is such a, there's such a physical aspect. And so I want to invite uh, Dr. Nicolette Marr, uh, one of our own, um, to shed some light on what it looks like physiologically to suffer with depression. So Nick. G'day everyone. Um, for those of you who don't really know me, I'm Nicolette and I'm married to Nigel. We have a little girl, Annabelle. I'm a part of Redfern GC. Is anyone here? Um, if anyone's not part of a GC, feel free to come check us out because we're pretty small. Um, I work as a GP in the inner west and I'm so excited that Anchor has decided to do a whole series on mental health as I see how prevalent it is in the community. I think as Christians, we're in a unique position when it comes to facing mental illness. On one hand, we have this incredible hope in eternity. We have a new identity in Jesus. We have a heavenly father who truly loves us. But then on the other hand, when we're feeling down or depressed, it can be hard to see God's love. We can feel guilty um, for not trusting God or even really angry if we've prayed for healing and not felt like we've received it. And that can feed into the cycle of despair. And sometimes it can even lead to a, a crisis in faith. I don't have an easy answer or a fix to this tension, but I hope by providing some information and the framework of how do you can get help that this can guide someone towards mental healing. I'm just gonna briefly outline the clinical aspects of depression, and this will be really similar to what I speak to with my patients. Firstly, what causes depression? For each person, it's a completely different combination of factors, kind of like what Arnaldo spoke about in his life. Um, genetics can play a role, so if you've got a close family member with a mental health disorder, that can increase your risk. There are certain personality styles that are more prone to suffering depression. Probably the most common ones would be anxious warriors or perfectionists. And that can be because there's excessive ruminating or you can be overly self-critical. 
if you're suffering from a medical illness, so anyone suffering from chronic disease or chronic pain, they can experience depression in higher rates. Long-term pressures, such as in our work, relationships, financial situation, abuse or bullying, substance use, such as drugs and alcohol. There are certain life stages where depression can be more prevalent, such as in and after pregnancy or as we get older. And then sometimes stressful or traumatic events, such as a relationship breakdown or, or losing a job, can trigger an episode of depression. But often there might have been those underlying vulnerabilities there. All of these factors can contribute to the brain not being able to regulate the mood normally, and it can actually affect how our nerves in our brains communicate. So there are these things called neurotransmitters that are messenger chemicals that jump from one nerve cell to another to send a signal along a pathway. Um, serotonin, noradrenaline and dopamine are probably a few of the important neurotransmitters that can affect a person's mood. In depression, often serotonin signals have been reduced or disrupted. And this is mainly important when we discuss treatment later on. So what types of depression are there and what do they look like? Probably the most common one is major depressive disorder. That's where a depressed mood can be present for nearly every day for at least two weeks. It could be mild, moderate or severe, and that mainly is judged by how much it's affecting your life. Other symptoms can include loss of interest, pleasure in usual activities, weight loss or weight gain, loss of appetite. You can have problems falling asleep, or sometimes you sleep too much and struggle to get out of bed. Um, it can be a loss of um, energy, feeling really fatigued, or sometimes it can be the opposite, feeling really restless and agitated. Sometimes you struggle to concentrate or make decisions. You can have feelings of worthlessness, being helpless and excessive guilt. And some people even have thoughts about death and suicide. So as you can see, like there can be something that's really slow and insidious that can creep into your life without you even realising it. And then there's melancholic depression, which is a less common but a really severe form of major depression where there's a loss of pleasure in all things or activities and it's called anhedonia. And people often present um, just saying their despair and feeling profoundly empty. And they can have issues with early morning waking in the middle of the night where they just can't go back to sleep. Uh, there's psychotic depression, which is depression that's associated with delusions, hallucinations or paranoia. And then as Arnaldo mentioned, um, he's probably experiencing dysthymia, which is where people experience less severe depressive symptoms, but they last for more than two years. That's a long time. Um, there's perinatal depression, which is depression that occurs during pregnancy or after the birth of a baby. And up to 20% of women experience this in Australia. And then lastly, um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And I mainly just wanted to mention this because lots of women don't know about it and they just deal with really severe depressive symptoms in the few days leading up to their period. And it can really affect how you go about your daily life, your work and your relationships. So if this is you, you're not going crazy, there is actually treatment for it. Um, depression can also be a main feature of bipolar, but that's something else that we might talk about later. So how do we deal with and treat depression? Um, the first thing that I always like to mention to all of my patients is that 
it's a, men a mental illness, including depression, is just like, it's a disease just like diabetes or asthma. You would never tell anyone with those conditions to just get over it. Therefore, you're not a failure. You shouldn't feel guilty if you haven't been able to fix yourself or make yourself feel better. The hardest thing in depression is actually recognising that you're experiencing it and asking for help. So what help is there available? The first port of call is your GP. Everyone needs to find a good one. Um, and my tip is to, um, to book a long appointment so that you have time to discuss everything without feeling rushed. They might formulate um, a mental health care plan, which can give you access to 10 subsidised um, psychology sessions subsidised by Medicare per year. Um, but there are also some local services that are available for at-risk populations that your GP could refer to. So people who are under 25, if you're financially disadvantaged in the perinatal period or if you're at risk of suicide. And one thing that I always like to tell people is that finding a therapist is it's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You've got to find one who's just right for you. Um, so if you, you go to one and you don't feel like it's working, go back to your GP and they might be able to refer you to somebody else who might be a better fit. Um, they also, your GP might also be able to make an assessment about um, whether medication is necessary. For mild depression, the evidence shows that psychology, particularly a type of therapy called cognitive behavioural therapy, or CBT, is actually more effective than medication. But for moderate um, to severe depression, then medication can play a role with psychology. Medication isn't a magic fix. It's more used as an aid to help improve the levels of those neurotransmitters in the brain to help the nerve cells communicate more effectively. Most common medications are aiming to increase the serotonin or noradrenaline levels. And I often use the analogy of a bank balance. So when your bank balance is low, you're not able to do all the things that you may need to or want to do. When you're depressed, your serotonin balance is low and so medication is aiming to slowly build up your bank balance to help your brain to function better. If you do start medication, it does take up to six weeks to take effect. Um, and normally, if it's the first time that you need antidepressants, you might only need it for six to 12 months and then if things are going well, then generally you would try to be weaned off. Um, there are some other things that actually have some evidence that is proven to help depression. So regular exercise, at least three times a week, a healthy diet, more specifically the Mediterranean diet, and there are some really, really great online CBT resources for people who aren't able to or aren't willing to access face-to-face um, -face psychology, and I'll post on the Facebook page some of the really good ones. Some of them are free as well. Um, and it's always important to mention that if things reach crisis point and there are thoughts about wanting to hurt yourself or wanting to end your life, that there are 24-7 phone lines that you can call, things like Lifeline or Beyond Blue. You can always present to your local emergency department. Or another thing that you can do is just call somebody you trust and ask them to come over. Don't feel ashamed. It actually takes incredible bravery to admit to someone that you're feeling that way. The last thing I always remind people is that there's always hope. Depression really isolates you and robs you of that ability to see and feel that hope. But it's still there. You just need to lift the veil so you can see it. Um, if you're a Christian and facing depression, Jesus is our hope. And it's a hope that actually never fails us. He loves you warts and all and has provided ways to support you spiritually and practically. 
So I'd like to encourage you to pray for healing of your mental anguish, but don't forget he's also provided you with access to care and support for you too. And you can even be praying to God to lead you to the right practitioner, somebody who just is the right fit. So I'm going to hand back to Arnaldo to finish, but I'll be around afterwards if you guys have any questions or if you want prayer. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. That was incredibly helpful. Thank you. Um, again, we, 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 we've been asking this, this question, what, what does it look like? Uh, what's the interface between us and between you and mental health and depression particularly? And because we, we strive to have a holistic theology of who we are, of, of, uh, of how God has created us, um, I want to reiterate some of those things that, 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 um, that Nick said, that one of the most faithful things you can do is go to your GP. And I think sometimes we have been um, sort of duped into this idea that that's, that's below us in some way, that the body somehow is, is corrupted and all we need to do is pray. And I'll say, yes, we, we do need to pray, but we also need to take hold of the graces that God have, has given us as humanity. And so the question is, in light of God's story, in light of who he is, in light of who we are, in light of who he has called us to be, how are we to think about depression in ourselves? And additionally, then what are we to do when we encounter depression, whether it's in ourselves or in others? And so I want to share with you um, just five reflections, five true things um, about depression. And the first is that depression, the feelings of depression, being diagnosed with this is not a sin. You need to get that. It is not a sin to be depressed. While it is a result of sin entering into the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve, God is not paying you back with depression. He's not settling accounts that way. You need to hear that, you need to know that the shame that is associated so often in our subculture is not yours to bear. The guilt of saying, I am someone who is afflicted with depression, the shame of that is not yours to bear. Depression is not a sin, although it's a result of sin entering into the world and the fabric of our world has been torn asunder because of sin. And everything, even down to our molecules, has been touched. So we often think that it's only our behavior that's been touched by sin. It's, it's what we do, but it's not, not only that, it's, it's, our ver- it's, it's, it's our ontological being. It's, it's who we are. It's, it's affected all of us. It's affected every square inch of the universe. Our minds, our serotonin levels, the way they work, the way they fail to work. And yet depression is not a sin, but a result of capital S sin entering our reality. Additionally, number two, depression is not unique to you. So often, and one of the things that struck out to me, uh, again, as as, uh, Dr. Marr shared with us, is it's often isolating. Even even the way that uh, David speaks about it in Psalm 88, that you have shunned me, my friends have left me, I am isolated, I am the only one. In fact, our boy Elijah, who, who wanted God to kill him in 1 Kings 19, goes on about, I'm the only one. 
I'm the only one suffering this way. I'm the last one left. And that's a lie. It's not unique to you. At least half of this room has or will suffer with depression. And yet we experience it uniquely. No two experiences are the same. And that's why we avoid these trite answers of, yeah, I know exactly how you feel. Yes, even as we try to care and love people, and even as we understand that depression is not unique to you, you are not isolated, you are not alone. We've seen from the scriptures that people have suffered. Your Lord Jesus has suffered. Paul has suffered. Elijah, Job, David. And yet we experience it uniquely. And God has unique ways then to heal us. Additionally, depression, number three, is multifaceted. And as, as, even as, as Nick would agree that um, so often um, we can think that if, if, I just, if I just take medication, it'll, it'll just, that, that's all I need. It, it's as simple as that. But there's so much mystery that still lies in the fabric of who we are. Whether it's spiritual or psychological or physiological, we, 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 we are, are not, uh, we haven't mastered our domain as it were. And so there's still much mystery, and yet God has graciously given us paths of healing to walk on. Number four, depression can cause you to want to abandon God. You have to be real about that. There's no healing where there's pretense. There is no healing when we cannot face the reality of how we feel that depression has caused you, it has caused me to want to abandon God. Psalm 73, my favorite text in, the, in, in probably the whole scripture, Psalm 73. You have this guy called Asaph. He's uh, one of the musicians at church, right? Like he's this guy behind me. And um, He's down, he's melancholic, he's depressed, he's jealous of others. And there's a verse in there where he says, I was like a brute beast before you. I was like a brute beast before you. Now we've been to the zoo, we think we've been in the wild. Maybe you've been to a safari, I don't know. But have we seen a brute beast in our midst? Have you felt like one? Where there is irrationality at the helm where we are not thinking straight. We are irrational. We are senseless. We are like a brute beast before him at times. And yet the beauty is that the very next line says, but you held me by my right hand. Even as I was a brute beast, senseless, irrational, wanting to abandon you, wanting to go, you held me by my right hand. And the truth is, depression can cause you to want to abandon God, but it will never cause God to abandon you. Ever. What can separate us from the love of God? Neither height, nor depth, nor width, nor length, nothing. Even as we sit in a pit of unbelief, at that point, as children of God, wanting to walk away from him, 
He will hold you by your right hand. Even as depression can cause you to want to abandon God, it will never cause God to abandon you. And finally, depression doesn't mean that we have less grace. In fact, and, and, and this is really important for us to get, is that depression, mental illness, weakness can be the doorway to experience grace in ways we have never experienced before. That depression is the doorway by which we experience God's grace. And even hidden in Psalm 88, even hidden in the darkest texts in the Bible, the, 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 if, if, it's, if there's a hopeless text, it's Psalm 88. And even there, that, that phrase he uses, even as his companions, his friends leave him, darkness is his friend. How can we ever say that darkness is our companion? Because God, that's where God operates. With nothing. When he created the world, what was there? Nothing. When he rescued Israel out of Egypt, who were they? Nobody. When he raised Jesus, where was he? Dead. And it's oftentimes in our death, in our woundedness, in our pain, in our nothingness, in our bottomless pit, that God brings resurrection. He is the God of resurrection. And the truth is that if you are experiencing depression here today, that does not mean you have less grace. It means that that is an opportunity for us to come together and show each other that this is a pathway to a deep experience of God's grace. He's there. And oftentimes we don't believe that because we have been co-opted by, by this culture that says the way to strength is strength. Now God doesn't want to just leave us as a bunch of weaklings. He wants to uh, help us. He wants to see us whole. In fact, the end of the Bible does not end with us as weak. It ends with us as glorious, with new bodies on a new earth. And we get to taste foretastes of that. But the answer to this is not that we get there by our own strength, but by our weakness. Weakness is the way for us. If you are a believer here today, if you follow Jesus, then what we subscribe to is that the way to be truly strong is to first be weak. And it's in his strength, not ours. It's not in, 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 in your lack of mental health issues that you are strong. It is only when we face our demons, our weaknesses, our brokenness, that we can be strong. That's a whole change from everything you have heard from Monday to Saturday. But I'm here to tell you that it's through weakness that we are made strong in his strength. So depression is not a sin, but it's a result of sin that has entered the world. It's not unique to you, but you experience it uniquely. It's multifaceted, and yet it's still very mysterious, even as much as we understand from it doesn't mean we have less grace. It means we have an opportunity to experience a great depth of grace. And it can cause you to want to abandon God, but it will never be. It will, it, it will never cause God to abandon you. So five ways forward now. How do we deal with this in our lives and the lives of others? One is that we pray. 
Now, that, that, that may sound like a weight too heavy for you to bear if you're suffering from depression, and that's true. I've experienced that. But this is the beauty, this is the beauty of prayer. That the scriptures promise us this, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, Paul says in Romans 8, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So even when you cannot pray, you need to remember, you need to know, you need to have friends around you to say the Spirit is praying for you. That Jesus is in heaven right now as a human, as God, standing beside the Father, interceding for you. Jesus is praying for you now. That even when we have no words, he has words for us. And he's provided not only that he's praying for us. I mean, if that's not enough, he's given us a community of God's people to pray for us and with us. One of the, one of the things that has been an agent of healing in my life has been prayer books. Other people's prayers. And we feel like, oh, that's not authentic. There's a story uh, in, the, in the New Testament where there's this paralytic. I'm, I'm the paralytic in the story. And there's a paralytic, and he's trying to get to Jesus. And Jesus is in a house, very crowded, can't get to him. So he has friends who put him on a mat. They carry him on a, up to a roof. They dig through the mud roof. They lower him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus heals him and forgives him of his sin. Now that man did nothing, could do nothing to get to Jesus, but he had friends. My friends have often been prayers of other saints. Where I have nothing to give, nothing to say, but one sentence in the hands of Jesus is more than anything we could ever muster. Pray is one way forward. Seeking help, going to your GP, taking the medication that they have given you is not shameful. Getting help in this way honors the way God has created us as embodied beings. It is not shameful, it is wisdom. And for so long I've heard that. Just pray to be healed. Just, that's all you need to do. And if you do anything else, then you're mistrusting God and that is a lie. He has made us whole embodied persons. So we get help. And it's not shameful, but it's wisdom. The third thing that can be helpful is oftentimes in our desire to, to genuinely help. And you've been on both sides of this. I have. Where we can go to someone who may be suffering a depressive episode and we say, what can I do to help you? And what that can often do and what that's done for me is not only do they already feel the shame of needing help, but now they have the additional shame and guilt of telling you how you, could, how you can help them. And so often we feel like we're helping when we say, what, what can I do for you? But oftentimes it's in the solidarity, just being with them in the pit. It's interesting that in the book of Job, uh, he's, he's got three friends, and after he lost everything, after he lost absolutely everything, they came, they could hardly recognize him because of his boils, they sat with him for seven days. And it wasn't until they opened their mouth with their bad theology that things went south. You could read it yourself. Sometimes the solidarity to just be with someone 
and not seek to fix them could be healing. Fourth, don't give up on spiritual disciplines. Do not give up on meeting with people. Like I said, spiritual disciplines for me, meeting with people, uh, silence, solitude, scripture reading, all of these things have been aids, have been crutches as it were. And, and, and we don't like that, right? We, like, we, don't, we don't like to be crutched. That's weak. But in the kingdom of God, weakness is strength. Don't give up on this. Don't give up on the people of God. It's incredibly encouraging knowing that I know there are people here who are suffering with deep melancholic depression and other forms, and yet you come and you seek to encourage others. When you don't feel like engaging, lean into community. And finally, I wanna encourage you, remember that God is intimately aware of what it feels like to suffer in this way. When I was at my lowest, I remember people encouraging me with scripture, sending flowers, and you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, an, it was an amazing thing. There, the, I, I have things on my, on my fridge that were given to us three years ago because they, 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 they were, they, it was a balm to, to my soul. And one of them, I remember, uh, was being reminded that Jesus is near. So often, and it, and it is true, what, what, what has carried me at, at points is knowing that one day I will no longer feel this way, that I will be whole, that you would be whole, that there would be nothing in the universe that will be broken, that there will be no tear, there will be no child who is neglected, there will be no war, no rape. It will all be wiped away. That, that's hope. And yet something deeper for me was knowing that Jesus suffered like me, that he was near that he can feel what I feel, not just because he's omniscient, not just because he knows all things, because he entered into humanity and felt what we feel. He is with you. There is hope. And even when we don't feel hope, that does not dictate the reality, the reality of hope. You are not saved. You are not a Christian here because you feel hope. Although that is a grace, the, the, the grace of assurance is amazing. And yet that is not what saves you. Your feelings of hope, feeling like Jesus loves you, feeling like he has done what he has done on the cross does not save you. Jesus saves you outside of yourself. So whether you feel it or not, you need to understand that there is grace. Your feelings don't save you. Jesus does. Listen to what John says. He says, for whenever our hearts condemn us, whose, whose heart has condemned them? I have felt condemned by my own heart. I should not be feeling this. There's shame. There is guilt. I feel condemned. I should be condemned. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Even when our hearts condemn us, even when there is this storm inside of us of guilt and shame and darkness and bottomless pits, that doesn't dictate your reality. There's something outside of you, and that something is greater. God is greater than our hearts, and he knows 
So I don't know if you're here and you've suffered, or you will, or you have someone you love, or someone who loves you, but there's hope. There's real, tangible hope that lives outside of us, that is not contingent on, isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that God is the God of resurrection? Isn't it good news that he tells us that weakness is the way? Imagine if we were to open up the scriptures and it was just to say, be strong. I'm not going to help you, but just do it. The, 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 and, and that's what a lot of us hear, read, when we, see, when we read the scriptures. The reality is that he tells us the only way you're going to be strong is by being weak. Zach S. Wine in, one of the, in a book that, that is on our resource table in the back called Spurgeon Sorrows, one of, I would say, the uh, most helpful and touching book on depression that I've ever read. He goes through uh, Charles Spurgeon's life of depression through that book. Incredibly helpful. He says this in that. What God has promised is to be with us. Sometimes more than answers, what we need is to know someone is with us. If you've ever been sick, just with the flu, or cold, just to know that someone is with you. You, don't, you. you know, there's no comfort in knowing how you got it. There's, there's hardly any comfort there in the knowledge of knowing how you transmitted, you know, how someone transmitted this cold to you. But when someone is next to you, that's where healing is. He says, what God has promised is to be with us, to weep with us, to celebrate with us, to help us, to strengthen us, to never let us go. That is our hope. And to outlast every evil and terrible thing with us. His promise to you today is that he will outlast every terrible and evil thing that has ever or will ever happen to you. So even as you sit in the bottom of the pit of depression, wherever on the spectrum you feel and you are, you need to know this. He is with you and will outlast every evil and terrible thing with us do you want that in your bones to know that one day the suffering Messiah will rid us of every speck and spot of sickness? I want, to, I want us to sit in this for a little while. I know we went a bit longer than usual. But I want you to know, if you don't know Jesus here today, that there's hope for you. That he has come in the form of a man. That he came as a human flesh and bone and sinew and serotonin running through his own mind. He came as a man to live the life that we could not live, to adopt us into his family, to die the death that we deserve, to experience a darkness deeper than anything we could ever experience as the Father turned his face away as he was on the cross. He did that for us. 
And he calls you into this story. He calls you into this reality. There's hope for you. Hope in God, David says in Psalm 42 and 43. Hope in God. Knowing that the Spirit even now is praying for you. And as that happens, we, we want to pray for you. There's going to be a time where we're going to be at the back, myself, our pastors, and our leaders, and our prayer team, and we want to minister to you. And this is going to be a time of reflection. So for the next song, we want you to sit. We want you to reflect on how God has visited you today. There's no shame in coming forward and asking for prayer. There's wisdom in coming forward and asking for prayer. There's wisdom in coming forward and asking for counsel. We're here for you, and we don't want to walk out of this space the same way. And so I invite you guys to just sit in this for a bit and reflect on the grace that God has given you and reflect on the grace that is available to you even as you suffer through a dark night of the soul. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you are holy and you are whole. I thank you that you have called us to live lives in light of what you are doing in Christ and through your church. And I pray now for those who may be afflicted, that you may give them the grace to come forward and receive prayer and receive grace and receive counsel and cut off the lies that say we need to be strong in and of ourselves, to cut that off, to throw it in the pit of hell where it belongs, to know that the way to strength is through weakness because it is in our weakness that you are seen as beautiful and strong and we are made strong. I pray for healing in this room, Holy Spirit, that you would visit people with healing, that you would visit people with grace and a word, that they would hear this not just for someone else but for themselves. Help us to even know ourselves now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.